We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, we had a couple of Game 4s that went in dis- different directions. Boston, with the huge 43-point fourth quarter, tied things up against Milwaukee. And then Golden State ended up coming back at home against Memphis without John ja Morant. Both games were very entertaining, guys. These Playoffs continue to be um, fantastic. I'd like to start with the early game, with that Boston-Milwaukee game. This has been a series, D, with a lot of adjustments so far, and and still several to go. You made a comment uh, recently in our text thread when we were talking about the whole rock-paper-scissors thing and how different teams are different versions of that. And these teams are two rocks, right? And Milwaukee is probably the bigger rock, especially with uh, someone like Robert Williams out in in game four. But they're also missing their second best shot creator behind Giannis. And so this has been a fascinating series. Um, You can't really fake desperation. You know, Boston went into into that fourth quarter down by seven. If they lose that game, they go down 3-1. And this Milwaukee team, even without Middleton, I think would be really difficult to beat three times in a row. So they did what they had to do. I think they're the slight favorites in this series. I'd love to hear what you think, what, what you've seen. I agree that they're slight favorites after winning this game. The lift on Giannis is so extraordinary, and he's he's tasked with doing just a bit too much. And when you're that great, and you're still tasked with doing a bit too much, then you know the ask for like a normal person is just ridiculously too high. He's so good that he's able to manage things in an appropriate way. But I thought towards the end of that game, he was tired. I just thought he was tired. Yeah, me too. And uh, Mike had brought this up the other day about Luca and how Luca, one of the reasons why Luca looked worn out at the end of like game two, for example, is because no one had joined the party. And Mike had mentioned that, you know, well, yeah, you get targeted so much defensively 
And then you're doing so much voluntarily offensively that you sort of do it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, Giannis has no such luxuries with Middleton out. He's looking around like Will Smith in that last episode of The Fresh Prince to a certain extent, right? Where he's just like, oh, where's everyone at? And really, he's just looking for another shot creator in Middleton. There was a lot of, and we'll get to this later with Dylan Brooks and his shot selection and how poorly he shot against the Warriors. But go look at Drew Holiday's stat line. Drew Holiday, man, is an adventure as a guy to root for and cheer for. Like defensively, he's great, obviously, but offensively, man, he's he's hit and miss. And he has value. But I think that when you say that Giannis, that there's too much of an ask on him, Drew being your number two in the playoffs in a high level series, also probably too big of an ask. Yeah. and, And so it goes back to slotting, Mike. It goes back to like, what's your appropriate and right sized role and Holiday was a big difference maker for them offensively in enough games last season in their run to the championship. Like, oh, look at that. Drew with a 28-point game on on high-efficient shooting. And then he wins you a game, and it's like, great. But two games later, he's he's three for 14 or or five for 19, and it's just sort of like that's what happens with Drew Holiday. He's not an elite shooter. He's not an elite shot creator. So, Mike, the thing that I was seeing was not only what Pete mentioned about desperation from Boston side, but they just had they had one or two more guys who were able to do something offensively, like a massive game from Horford. Um and a good game from Tatum and Brown was doing just enough. And then a little bit of smart here. Smart right, had a couple. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, okay, well, that put them over the top. And meanwhile, Giannis is huffing and puffing at the end of the game because he needs to do everything. But you can't do everything for every minute and still feel like you have enough in reserve at the end and you need a superhuman effort at that point. And he can give that to you, but you can't expect that every single night. Yeah. This is why when Middleton went down, I had to change my pick from Milwaukee to Boston. It's just that kind of a player. Milwaukee needs that. Uh, They just have to have somebody else who can come in and make shots. And when holiday's not, and he wasn't right. I think it was five for 22 in this game. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was killer. For them, because they just they're not going to have Wes Matthews. Is, he was effective. He he actually made three of his four threes, and I thought he was pretty good defensively. Uh, he was a plus seven, but he's he can't he can't go up a notch, right? He can't lift his game up to the next level. Grayson Allen probably isn't going to be able to lift his game up to the next level against Boston type defense in, in a regular season. Maybe you'll hit six threes some night, and then off the bench, you know they've got role players, so they they almost need. There should they need some switches with what the Lakers had on their roster this year, where they had some guys that could potentially step up in situations, but couldn't do a lot of the role things. And Milwaukee doesn't have that next guy, so they they have to have certain base level performances from Giannis, which you're always going to get. And Holiday has to play that well too. But I actually thought that Milwaukee, aside from you know Holiday not shooting well, played well enough to win. Boston uh, gets some credit. Like Al Horford was insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a just an absolutely ridiculous game. He made five of seven threes, 11 of 14 shots overall. Every time they collapsed to try and contain Tatum and sometimes Brown, which they did well, uh, by the way, Tatum was 11 for 24. Horford hit, it seemed like, every shot. And that was the backbreaker. A lot of them were threes. 
And you can't, you have to take away certain things. And that that's what the Bucks have lived by. And in this case, they died by it. So I, I too give Boston now a, a, a maintaining a slight edge as they now go home. And this is the, the basketball gods part of this, where Milwaukee gave them the upper hand. They just gave them that two seed because they decided, you know what? We don't want to play Brooklyn in round one. So they tanked their last game. Boston had the tiebreakers. Boston said, okay, we'll take it. And they handled Brooklyn. And now they're in the driver's seat uh, with that home court, which which in Boston makes a difference. It doesn't make a massive difference in every single arena. But by this point of the season, it does in most. So uh, I have I have something to kick back to you. But first, Pete, get some get your thoughts in on this series. Yeah, on on the home court advantage aspect, I I think Milwaukee, especially as a defending champion, is impacted by that a little bit less. That said, the I agree with you on the basketball gods front in that you're way more likely to catch breaks when you just do your job. You know, you've got a a, a win in front of you. Go get it and. Everything else will work itself out. And then you end up facing that team that doesn't have its second best shot creator in the second round. These things always tend to kind of work out that way. I've thought before this series that to beat Boston, you needed to be able to switch with size. And that's something that in their last couple of matchups between Milwaukee and Boston – Milwaukee had done more than they have so far in this series. Brooke Lopez has been a bigger part of this series than I expected him to be. And part of that is because guys like Wes Matthews and Drew Holiday have done well on Tatum and Brown, respectively. Now, I, I want to zero in on that matchup, D, on those two matchups. On So you've had Holiday on Jalen Brown and Wes Matthews on Tatum. And now Wes is a guy that we're familiar with, obviously. I was surprised by that matchup because I've been talking a lot about how Boston is a team that starts that that likes to kind of plow through you. And while Wes is certainly a guy that's up to the challenge, after a certain size discrepancy, like even if you're up for it, if the other guy's up for it and he's 6'10 and big, he can still exert his will. But Wes had won a lot of those battles through three and a half games. But in that second half, Tatum really started to look to attack the basket and attack the drop coverages and kind of get into the paint in ways that he hadn't for most of the series. Like the way to to beat him, quote unquote, and he had a, a bad shooting game the game before is force him into floaters, force him to contort, force him into like pull up mid-range jumpers that are contested. These are the spaces where he's solid at these things, but he's not going to kill you the way that he does in getting all the way to the basket. And so that was the big thing in this game was seeing that second half where Tatum really started to exert his size advantage over Matthews. And that's something that I think that we're getting into that part of the series where like at the end of the game, Budenholzer subbed out, um, subbed out Lopez, but subbed in Allen and went really small. So it was like a four guard lineup with Giannis at the five. I think Portis is going to have to be more of a significant figure because I still think you need size out there um, for them. But I think we're entering the part of the series where Milwaukee will probably start to switch a little bit more. So let's take a break. On the other side, I'd love to hear your thoughts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It's all super interesting with Lopez. One of the things and Tatum's ability to drive, right? One of the things that's interesting to me is this is why Horford's game was so important to Boston, because when you play drop coverage, there's a couple of areas of the floor when you're the screener that open up for you. One mm-hmm. is the pop, right? And so Mike mentioned, or you mentioned Pete, Horford went five for seven from three, right? So there's the pop element and the spacing element in general. And the other is the pocket pass, because when you play in the drop and then you're necessitating that the guard go over the top of the screen because you're in a drop and the and the guy's a good enough pull up shooter like Tatum is, then you have to go over the top. That creates the bigger the drop coverage the or the deeper the drop with then the bigger the window, the window for mm-hmm. the pocket pass. And for the angles, the angles that you generate as a passer for Tatum. So Horford in the fourth quarter, a couple of those shots that he hit were just like, oh, look, there's an eight foot jumper. Yep. Right. And it's like Horford's too good of a player and he was having too good of a night to give him those sorts of shots. And so that's where to me Horford's play was super important because if Horford is Instead of being superhuman, which he was, it was literally, I think, his highest scoring playoff game ever. Right. Mm -hmm. So he literally had the best scoring night he's ever had in a very distinguished career. Right. Horford may not be a Hall of Famer, but he's been a wonderful high level player player for a long time in this league. So, Darius, would you have switched up that at some point and said, hey, you know what, let's take the risk of 
showing less attention to Tatum and just and just not give because they kept giving him the looks even after yeah. he was hot. What yeah. I would have done was I would have then changed up the coverage with Lopez again and started to vary things a little bit more. Lopez's size is super important and his shooting and his rebounding ability. Like Lopez is going to get you more things. And I didn't think Portis was being particularly impactful, Pete. So it's just like, what do you do? You either go super small or you Mm -hmm. stay bigger. And I think Lopez has a better chance there. Yeah, Portis to me is in the if you're starting to switch more, because I very much agree with that, like don't let guys get comfortable. And the thing about a guy like Horford is he against a team like Milwaukee that protects the rim so much, he's just going to roll when he rolls to the basket on those against those drop coverages. It's going to be into that little eight foot range where he's got that little floater. It's kind of like, you know, how I, I always think about Isaiah Hartenstein where against the Lakers, where he's got that little floater from six to eight feet. That's the range against those deep drops. The game has become more and more this like paint by numbers type of thing where yeah. if the t- if the defense does this, then this is the counter to that. And that's one thing that Boston and a guy like Horford, who's one of those guys that's been around forever, that he knows you do this, I do that. It's just this really quick, instinctual decision-making component that when he's got – and then when he's got no pressure on his shot at yep. all, he's going to nail every one of those. So like even though he had a monster night, like I've, I, I feel like people when that happens are like, oh, Horford's not going to go off like that again. It's like, well, if you guard him like that, he's he might not have 30, but he's going to have 22, 24 on those kind of shots. If he's wide open and he's then starts to feel like I need to be assertive offensively, because that's Mm -hmm. where Horford was lagging behind in some of the earlier games this series. It was just like, okay, his inclination is to swing yeah, or to make a play for a teammate. His inclination is not like, oh, let me get up 18 shots. So, Mike, to answer your question, I might have blitzed a couple of times. I might have shown higher and shocked at the level of the ball. I might like Milwaukee's a good enough defense to adjust midstream for a possession or two like hey let's Just take a time out yeah like right like okay two possessions from now boom we're doing this and we'll do that for one possession just to sort of give Tatum a different look. And then the next look, do something different again and just make him think a little bit like what's coming this next particular time. Because honestly, it's there was a there was a point in the fourth quarter before Boston really went on their run where I thought this is a one possession game like it's a one possession game at the seven minute mark. Mm. Right now. And that seven minute mark might as well be the 30 second mark, because if you control this part of the game, you can stem the tide or turn the tide back and then you can win. But if you let go of the rope in that tug of war that we were talking about, well, now the flag is moved a foot and a half in the other direction and getting that foot and a half back is too difficult against a high level team. And, and so I was just looking for a little bit of. You got to change something up. And they went personnel, yeah. which I get, right? They changed the lineup. They tried to go for a, for a different look. But by that point, things had avalanched on them yeah. to a certain extent. And a 10-point lead felt like a 1,000-point lead in that sort of game where these defenses are just bludgeoning each other. They are so physical. When they talk about a rock fight, it's just like, that's what that is. This is like medieval times here. These dudes are (laughs) out here with big old axes and clubs with spikes and literally just like knock down, drag out battles defensively. And we talk about too how you can't 
fake the that last level of desperation and Boston mm-hmm. had it because they didn't want to go back home trailing 3-1 and so they knew that they had to bring their best and in Milwaukee I thought Giannis who always tries to match it was was there for that until he because he had to be there for that until he got worn out and, and he had to actually go take a sub with about five minutes left or so or maybe it was four and to get a minute's mm-hmm. worth of rest before coming back in and then you know, guys like Derek White, he may have had his best game of the series. He made four shots where he's had games where he's made none. Marcus Smart had some huge plays where he scored inside late. So Boston had all of their troops and, and they played really well. And now it's can somebody in Milwaukee that's unexpected, can Grayson Allen hit four threes, right? Or Connaughton or Bobby Portis or one of those dudes to yeah. sort of step up Somebody's and have a big night. One last point about Giannis, Mike. I thought him being tired, and I mentioned this earlier, impacted his shot selection a couple of times. He took settled a couple, for jumpers, man. He yeah. took a couple of mid-rangers where he just felt like, yeah, this is the one for this possession. I'm just taking this 17-footer. And, like, I get it. I get it. We, we've seen this with LeBron. And LeBron is a decade older, so it makes sense. But it's just like... You can't go in there every single time. Yeah. It's like you're asking too much, man. You're asking it's funny. too much. We talk about guys like Giannis and LeBron as being superhuman so often that we very much forget that. No, they're, they're t- totally <laughs> human, right? Like, and, and it's like, okay, we need you to attack Al Horford and Grant Williams and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown every single time down court and yes. not get tired. Be the best defensive player in the league, too. Exactly, yeah. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's true though. It's that's this that's the crazy part of the expectation game. And when you really get to that peak kind of pantheon level of what these guys can do, so it, it is funny how what our expectations are for Giannis and, and LeBron, and and then we're like, why is why is he settling for jump shots? Like, come on, man. right? You know, <laughs> from our guys, couch, he, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of all time greats, let me just let me just hijack this real quick because I I got a, a tweet from at Travis HB. I saw you guys were on this, and Travis is always. I'm hitting us with stuff. Yeah, what's up, Travis? So I I had missed this originally, but apparently Shaq made some comments about Rudy Gobert. That's nothing new. And Rudy commented back. And so here, what I'm looking at in front of me is Shaq said Rudy wouldn't be able to guard him is the summary. I think that uh, Bleacher Report summarized it. And then Rudy apparently commented, uh, I would lock his ass up. And then he used the lock emoji. <laughs> and so I, I, as you guys are, you know, born and raised with Shaq, with Prime Shaq, I thought I would just, and I responded to Travis that I would, I thought you guys could handle this one. So I'm just going to leave it up there and let you respond to that. Look, for some reason, Utah has always had some tall, goofy defensive center our entire life. It's like they have to have that kind of guy from Mark Eaton to Greg Ostertag and Greg Foster, the Gregs of the 90s, to now Rudy Gobert. The things that Shaquille O'Neal would do to Rudy Gobert in single coverage, you remember what he did to Matumbo? Yes. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not someone. I hope, I hope, y'all know that. Like, I love today's game. I'm not of that. Like, oh, back then, like everybody would have been better. I've never seen anybody like Shaq, Darius. Like, there's never been a player in my lifetime that was quite like him. And the idea that anyone and this isn't even really like an insult to go bear right that the idea that anybody could lock him up you remember how Shaq used to like Shaq 
Shaq understood how to be big. Not not only was he bigger than any, any everyone else, he understood how to use that to his advantage better than anybody else in ways where like, especially with Gobert's tall center of gravity, like, you know, that play where he dunks on Chris Dudley, where it's like bump, bump, drop step, dunk on you. Like Shaq against guys with tall centers of gravity like that would just, he would have, he would have stuffed Gobert into a locker. So there is a play that Shaq had, and I think it was, um, it might have been either when Matumbo got, went to the Nets or it was in the 76ers finals. But Shaq had this great ability to jump step, but he would jump step and he would sort of in a crouch, right? And so he would like lead with his shoulder and he would get into a crouch and he would like use his momentum to knock you off and then he would explode and he would go over the top of you with, with, well, with one hand. Yeah, so you're coiled when you do that, right? Like yes. that jump stop into the paint, he's in that crouch, like tucked into himself. So yes. he can keep in the ball close to him and good luck stripping it down low because that was your only chance. But you weren't going to strip that from Shaq. And then, yeah, that explosion up. And as he came up out of that, man, just the power that he would generate was nuts. So he did that to Matumbo a couple of times. And Matumbo just went backwards. And Matumbo's probably the closest thing that you would have seen to a Gobert. Type. Yeah. And so... Rudy Gobert, you would have gotten folded in half like a Craftmatic adjustable bed. You would have been put into these these like shapes by Shaq. This is what would have happened to you. And so there is no lock. And if you would have actually dared to say some dumb shit uh, like, oh, I would have locked him up. Matumbo had 15 pounds on Rudy Gobert, according to uh Quick, yeah. quick research. So, and, yeah. and as many defensive so, player of the year awards, he was a, a yes. monster defensive. So, player. so just to, you know, so Rudy has even just to build into your point, right? So Rudy has less in the back of the trunk than Matumbo did. So, Shaq was also king of petty. Yes, he invented stories about players just so that he would go out there and maul them. He invented stories. The David Robinson didn't shake my hand when I was at <laughs> right. Those stories were fake. I, I don't not, think people uh, no, tell people Shag that story. Is, I don't think everybody Shag knows is that story. Mad sensitive, as you you hopefully can still tell that just by watching inside the NBA. Yes. Like, what do you think, Chuck's, yes. Chuck's entire purpose on the show is to find ways to needle Shaq. And I really hope that they show him this tweet if they didn't already uh, when they get on tonight or they tonight or tomorrow, whatever. So, yeah. So Shaq tells this story about how when he was like in middle school or something, and he went to go watch a Spurs game or went to some sort of camp. And he tells this story about how David Robinson was there and he and Shaq like introduced himself and like, you're my idol sort sort of thing, looking up to him as as an up and coming player. And David Robinson just shunned him. And Shaq had told this story in the past and like used that as motivation in order to destroy David Robinson. And he kicked Robinson's ass there, over and over again. There's a couple of distinct plays there. So Shaq got David Robinson in an all-star game. Look it up. Shaq dunk David Robinson all-star game. And it's, <laughs> and it's brutal. And then he got him in a couple of regular season games too. Robinson also like stole a scoring record from Shaq, I think, where he scored like 72 or something. 71 like, in the final game against yeah, the Clippers. Yep. Anyways. 94, so, I think. Yeah. So Shaq told this story for the longest time during his NBA career. And then after he's retired, he's just like, nope, I made it up. Right. Like needed some motivation in order to play against this great player. And so Shaq would just make it up. So if you actually came at him with like, oh, yes, 
I am defensive player of the year, right? Like, I don't know how you say barbecue chicken in French, but I don't know. Uh, Maybe it would be like... MJ's chilling on the sideline, just just cracking up. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Oh, those cute dogs. Anyways, so... Thank you for the little side tangent ability to rant here, Mike. Let's let's go into break here. And when we come back on the other side, let's talk a little bit Golden State Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, gentlemen, it's 3-1. It's the only playoff series that is 3-1. The Warriors were playing an unserious brand of basketball for three quarters, a little bit more than three quarters. I actually thought Memphis did a very good job, too, of like, okay, we're going to lean into a different aspect of ourselves without Ja Morant. So Morant was ruled out, knee soreness, and Memphis is quite familiar with playing without Ja Morant. Mm -hmm. So, Mike... Talk to me about what you saw from both the Memphis perspective and then from Golden State's perspective and how the team sort of found a way to pull it out at the end. Yeah, this was a classic, a classic uh, what happens when game in the playoffs. And when one team star is out, the other team relaxes. Check. Right. When uh, when the team that is played without that star knows that they have to rally around the flag and play a certain serious brand of basketball, check. So all of these things happen up until the fourth quarter. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then Memphis basically turned into Minnesota from round one. And, you know, I think Pete was probably, Coach Pete was probably watching Dylan Brooks um, and, mm. and just having mm. a real hard time, mm. you know. So I'll let Pete get to that. But the first thing that we have to remember, for starting with Memphis, they were 20 and four, I believe, without John Morant and... So it's a complicated thing, right? We, we're, we all love John Morant, but when LeBron is out, you know, whatever team he's ever been on, his team basically sucks. And so it says something about Memphis for sure, but what does it say about Ja? I don't know. I, I do know this, though. Tyus Jones is an excellent point guard, and teams don't target him game plan-wise in the same way that they're going to target Ja to try to take advantage of some of what he does defensively. Even though he's solid, he's still small. Like, he's a better defender than Ja, but they also don't just – they just – teams don't think about it in the games that Morant is out, at least from what I've seen. So you don't really get to take that advantage of of Memphis defensively like you can sometimes with Ja's on the court. So that's one. Then on the other hand, the defensive game plan always focuses on Ja Morant. And a key to that is to pack the paint and to back off. And Memphis doesn't have a lot of shooting in that starting lineup. So that's that's the game plan. Now, Jaw sometimes just completely eviscerates the game plan because he can get past all of that initial defense and finish in any God knows number of ways. Plus, he's been hitting his threes this series. But 
So he's out. What's the game plan? Well, Tyus Jones can shoot. So you got to play completely differently. And then when, if you do get out there, guess what else he can do? He can get in the mid range. He's got a floater. He's got a little leaner. He's got, and then he's smart enough to dribble back out. He's going to get Jaron Jackson some touches on the post and get him off the three point line. So it's like a totally different team. And yet they're still big and athletic on the wings. So it's there. There's a reason why they didn't just win 20 to 24 games for, for no reason. So Golden State really got lucky. Um, to to find some way to, to to manipulate a win here and Steph hitting shots late and a couple defensive plays, but those were just a, a few of the things I was noticing that uh, that about Memphis specifically and why they're still pretty dangerous without Ja. And further to your point about how they're a different team with Ja Ja out and especially in this past game, they started Stephen Adams, which just gives them a completely different look and I think plays into something that Golden State is kind of weak on the interior just in terms of physical strength. Going from watching Boston, Milwaukee to Memphis, Golden State, just from a physicality standpoint, just really different ends of the spectrum. And so you have a very different team along with the points that you made about uh, about the, you know, letting down when the other team's star player is out. I'd even argue that being down 2-1 gives you that degree of desperation where Memphis is going to come out a little hotter. Now, when you sign, start a guy like Adams, the we, the reason he wasn't playing at all before that is his ability to defend the perimeter. When you do that against Golden State, you're like, oh, God, this is going to go badly. They missed their first 15 threes in that game. Clay was a hot mess for a lot of it. And that's something that they're going to have. Clay has been off and on. Um, and, but they'll need a better version of him to compete in the next round. And I actually don't think these first two rounds prepare Golden State particularly well for that, for that next round. But D, that's something that come f- the fourth quarter, I thought that's when Ja was missed. And in some ways it mirrors, uh, Milwaukee's problem in that for some reason, whatever reason, I'd be curious your thoughts on why you think this happens, but the fourth quarter of close playoff games are really shot creator, individual shot creator territory. And what I saw at the end of that game, Memphis is a team that at the beginning of the playoffs, remember, I was like, this is the team I'm going to root for. I know they're not going to win a chip or anything like that, but they're young and they're fun. Every time I watch them in the regular season, I had a good time. I'm going to adopt the Grizzlies. <laughs> Watching them these first two rounds, I'm like, this team is so aggravating, right? It's like Brooks is certainly the spearhead of that, but he's definitely not the only guy. Like that, that Jaron Jackson three from 30 feet that Draymond saw five seconds in advance. Like they're a young team and these types of experiences come with being a young team past the first round in the playoffs. But Memphis is a team that, again, I was rooting for and I'm still rooting for them in a way. But like they've continued to piss me off. And I was like, I've watched enough basketball this year that was irritating or it's like I can't adopt a team that's also going to frustrate me. So Golden State's clearly the better of the two teams. Um, but I'm, I'm curious how you view Memphis, because I think this is a a year that's part of their story. Um, but they just, they're too young and inexperienced to, to get past a team like Golden State. All the points that both of you made about Memphis being a different team and sort of how they shape shift to becoming more of a defensive slowed down team mm-hmm. with Jones. Mm-hmm. Jones is a much steadier guy. It's like the tortoise versus the hare. Yeah. Right. And so at the end, the race is going to be close regardless between the two. And so, Jaw is the hair. He is going to just bounce around and bring energy. And there is a bit of chaos that he induces within the flow of the game. Um, 
that doesn't mean he can't play a controlled game. He's such a wonderful playmaker and passer, and it's the part of his game that I think allows him to really propel his team forward. It's not the not just the 40 something points that he can score on on any given night it's the crazy like oh look at this wraparound pass to a guy who's wide open from three because the defense is all in the paint all because because of me but jones jones brings a steadiness in the sort of classic point guard sort sort of way that is useful to a team that does have some other pieces brooks went full john starks in this game If you don't get the reference, go back to like the finals that the Knicks played against the Rockets. I think it was maybe game five or game six. 94, Um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Starks had a particularly poor shooting night. and Two for 18 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he just didn't read the room in terms of like understanding where his place in the hierarchy should have been based off of the flow of the game and how he was playing particularly. It was the memento game. Like the thing that happened just a minute ago, like I can't remember and, and anymore. So, Oh, miss shot. <laughs> totally forgot that one. I'm just going to shoot it again because this one feels good. And Brooks had just some low level decision-making plays in terms of shot selection that I don't know what sort of conscious he's going to have around stuff like that. He doesn't seem the type to no. like lament too much on his poor plays. Cause that's kind of who Brooks is. He is a confident dude. But I thought that he shot them out of it in ways that Clay Thompson was trying to do for the Warriors on a few different possessions as well. So I thought the Warriors generated a lot of good shots. There is one note on that. Just one note. This is where, though, if they were able to kind of make up for the, not having jaw, those crunch time moments are part of where they they've it's all been the ball in jaw's hands there. And there, so even though Tyus Jones, yeah. I think, could continue to get them better looks than Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks is, at that point, is basically looking him off. Like, nah, you know, you're not at the level here where you're just going to go get us a shot. So I, I got this, you know, and that that's the part where you're missing your guy and are used to playing a certain way that I think is was problematic for them. Well, I also thought, too, that the Warriors were putting size at the point of attack defensively. So they were using Wiggins on the point guard a lot, regardless of who was playing point guard. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think that actually mattered for most of the game, but it did start to matter in the fourth quarter. Like yeah. I thought Wiggins really picked up his defensive intensity and really locked in in a way where he was turning Jones a lot in the backcourt. And it was really he was really making them use a lot of clock. And so that's when I thought Brooks decided, well, I've got a lesser lesser. Right. But I've got a, a, a different defender on me. I, like I have more of an ability to create a shot. And to be fair, Brooks hit a big three. He got a big driving layup. He also missed about five other shots that were like, what the hell are these? And, and, and so you cut out two or three of those, what the hell are these plays? And maybe the ball game goes in a mm-hmm. different direction. But that's where seasoning and understanding and all of this other stuff comes in. I will be interested, Pete, to see like what the lessons learned are from this, but not only learned, but applied. Because guys who need to learn and take from this the most, how capable they are of doing that is going to really influence the direction of the franchise in in a way that goes beyond what Jaw can do for them, right? Because Jaw will need another guy or two to be like, no, we are the core of a championship team. 
the core of a team, right? Yeah. Jaw can spearhead that, but who are the guys who are going to like who are going to be his Clay and Draymond, basically? And yeah, we'll see what comes of this. They're a team to me that needs one or two two for one type of trades that acquires a player that's in between a Jaw and a Jaron Jackson, right? Yep. Like if they had Bi, for example, they might. They'd be right up there in the conversation. You know what I mean? And so I'm very curious to see uh, where where Memphis goes from here. Fun night. We got a fun night ahead. Uh, game A pair of game fives in a uh, two, two, two series tonight. This is one of my favorite scenarios in basketball. And we'll be back tomorrow to cover all that. Talk some Lakers, I think, a little bit tomorrow, too. Bye. But until then, hey, <laughs> but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, score. Score. one, missing. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.